worship the Lord together. Feel free to sit when you need to. Um, you're welcome to worship the way that God is leading you this morning. Raise your hands. Kneel, stand, sing. And our focus will be a, attentive to Jesus Christ. Jesus, hope of the nations. Jesus, comfort for all and more. You are the source of heaven so far. Jesus, I am the darkness. Jesus, truth in his
somebody says to me, well, come speak. Okay, I say, yes. What do you want me to speak about? No comment. Well, you know, that is kind of, I wish somebody would say, speak on this. Then I would just, yes, okay, I'll obey. But when they say, speak on whatever you want, it's hard for me. So what I've usually done is I've kind of gone by what I'm going through in the Word of God for my devotional time, and that becomes my message. So I was in Luke chapter 6 for my devotional time this week, so if you'll turn there to Luke chapter 6, Luke is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and Luke is a popular name here, right? we got a pastor named Luke, and uh, we have a son named Luke, and you know why we named him Luke? Because I was speaking on Luke in Auburn, Nebraska when he was born. <laughs> so you know why it's a popular name, uh, book for me and a popular name. But Luke chapter 6... Verse 17 is where we're going to start, is about how Jesus came and spoke at a, um, a meeting in a, out in the, in the countryside, it looks like here. But it's interesting to me as I read through the Gospels, I always try to make it personal, practical, try to get Jesus more relevant for me. And so I'm thinking about this, is what would Jesus say if he came for a half-hour sermon in Henderson, Nebraska? And we were there. What if, how would we respond? What would he say? And, you know, Jesus wasn't a wealthy man. He wasn't like a high-powered evangelist. He wouldn't have driven in on a big bus. He wouldn't have had a big trailer behind it. I imagine he probably would have driven up with two old 90s model minivans. And 13 men would have hopped out of those minivans at the park. And uh, you couldn't have told which one was Jesus because he wouldn't have had a halo on his head wouldn't have been dressed in a white robe. He would have looked just like the other guys. But here he came. Let's see what happens here in verses 17 through 19. Luke chapter 6, 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Then looking at his disciples, he said, stop there just a moment. You know, we would have gone. Because we would have heard about these miraculous things that were happening. Sick people were jumping out of their beds and being healed. In those days, doctors were almost unheard of. If you were sick, you either live with it or you die. And so it kind of relates to me in Haiti when there's poor people who are sick, they either pray or they die because they don't have money to go get a doctor. And so he was very popular. He only he also and only raised the dead. I'm sure we would have all gone. So here he comes and he 
he's got a message. Now, notice that it says he looked at his disciples in verse 17. He went down with them, referring to the disciples. So this is a message to disciples. This is not about how to be saved. This is a message for people who are saved and what Jesus says we need to be doing. So let's pay attention in that way. Verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Now I think the disciples were maybe a little shocked at this message. Because you see, when you're a disciple and you're following the most popular preacher around, it can kind of go to your head. I'm with Jesus. He heals people. He does miracles. He's great. Aren't we great? But Jesus gives an opposite message. It's not one that particularly they would enjoy hearing, nor do we like to hear. Let's just list this. The impact of being poor, hungry, crying, being hated, excluded, insulted, disrespected, rejected because I'm a Christian sound too much fun. On the other hand, he says, it's not so good to be rich, well-fed, laugh, and be popular and have no enemies. Well, we don't strive to have enemies, at least I don't. I like people who like me. But in this verse, Jesus is saying, hey, when everybody says, man, what a fantastic guy you are, he's saying, maybe that's not so good. It's hard to get our heads around this. In our lifetime in the United States, I'm starting to say as an older person, I just started saying that last week. We have lived a pretty good life, haven't we? Yes, I've had some people call me names. Yes, I've had some people not like me because of the gospel or things that I've said. No one has ever thrown a rock at me. No one has ever tried to run me off the road because of my belief in Jesus. No one said, I hate you, particularly. We've had it good in our country. We hear about people in other countries uh, where persecution takes place. You hear it in the news all the time, the Christians that are being slaughtered in other countries. In history, it has not been like we've had it. We had it good. Historically, Christians worldwide have been persecuted. It's not been good. Christians have been a minority. They have been oppressed. But us, what do you think about it? Is that changing? I ask myself, and am I ready if it does? How would I take it if somebody confiscated my property? What if my cupboards were bare and there was no food in the grocery store? What if the whole country was down on me because of my belief in this book? And I said, Jesus says this, and everybody hated me. How would I take that? And yet this has been the norm in history. This has been what has happened down through the centuries. The disciples didn't want to hear it. And I don't know that it's what I want to hear either. But verse 23 is an important verse that should encourage us and make us think a little differently about it. Read it again with me, verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Hey, are we living for just now, Jesus said, or are we thinking about that future? Because here and now is going to last 70, 80 years. But eternity, how long is eternity? I can't describe it. Nobody can explain it. It's beyond our imagination. But Jesus is saying, whatever happens to you in this life could not compare to the joys of eternity. If you suffer now, take it, because it's going to give you a greater reward in eternity. Real 
eternal treasures that will last forever and ever. Your net worth in eternity goes up. Some people say, well, don't talk about rewards. You're not supposed to be talking about rewards in the Christian life. Then your motive would be wrong. Wait a minute, Jesus just did. And he's going to talk about it again. Saying and thinking like, hey, think about eternity and what's going to happen for the good for you in the future, not just here and now. C.S. Lewis ran across this, said this. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See Lewis. Salvation was paid for. The cost of salvation was paid for by Jesus Christ. Full, in total on the cross. There's no sacrifice that we need to make. No cost to us. It's a free gift. But when it comes to rewards in heaven, sacrifice. Pain, possible pain. Suffering, sorrow. So Jesus is just challenging us and his disciples. Verses 27 to 36. But I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting getting to get back, get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Well, He's thinking, getting us thinking about negative possibilities. But how should we handle this? How should we handle those who hate us? those who exclude us, those who insult us and do us wrong. Can we escape this? Yes, I guess it's possible. It's possible to escape it. If I move away from Christ and I'm quiet and act like I agree, hey, people will speak well of me. But if I stand where Christ stands and if I stand on the word of God, not going to be that way. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, one short passage we're going to look at, only this one place to turn, and we'll go back to Luke. In verse 18, Fifteen, eighteen. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. There's a general hatred for God and Jesus in this world. Uh, Because, you see, God has pointed out to people that there will be a price to pay, a judgment day is coming for sin. People don't like that. They have a choice to make. They can either rebel against God and say, No, God... I'm going to do what I want to do. You're not going to tell me what to do and never bow the knee. Or they can bow the knee and say, yes, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And that's the whole difference. You and I as believers 
are a reflection of Jesus by how we live, what we say, and what the Word of God says. And as a result of that, the hatred for Jesus and God comes to us because we stand beside Jesus. But if I move away from Jesus, maybe I can avoid some of the hatred. But I also move away from reward. I move away from fellowship with Jesus. I've been there. There were times when I should have said, hey, yep, I'm a Christian. And I believe the Bible. And I failed to say it. I failed to stand with those who were standing. And I stood on the other side. And it is a dangerous, bad place to be. Then there's been times where I did stand with those who were right and righteous. Boy, the blessing of God comes down on you. The Holy Spirit is enabling you to do this with love. That's how you can stand and love your enemies. Because once you take this act of obedience, the Holy Spirit enables you to love which you can't do. But God in us allows us to be able to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, and then on top of that, he rewards us for what he did in our life. That's a good deal, isn't it? Again, we're back to rewards. Extra credit, you might say. What credit is it to you? Your reward will be great. It doesn't say just a little bit. Your reward in heaven will be great. If we want to think about eternity and how to increase our value in heaven, think about what we need to do here on earth in relation to loving those who hate us. Maybe you've had that experience or not. I don't know. But the idea here at the end of this verse is that he is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. A lot of that going around today. Verse 37 through uh, 37 through 42. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, Jesus keeps on dealing with subjects that are not pleasant, and he seems to always have it backwards. Now he deals with tunnel vision. All disciples deal with it. All disciples are human, sinful people who deal with prejudice, criticism, and condemnation. You know, the world, every chance it gets, is looking for an opportunity to hammer someone when they make a mistake. get even with them. A chance to compare themselves with somebody else on anything and everything. And always come out with the conclusion, well, I certainly am better than they are. Whether it be brains, looks, more experience, more spiritual, that's how the world handles things. Jesus wants us to handle it backwards. He's always opposite to the world. To think positive instead of negative about others to say positive things about others and to deal with them in a kind way. To give not only money, but to give people slack. You think about that. How much slack can I give people when they have a problem? Give them a chance. Show them mercy. But it starts with me and not having that tunnel vision to look at all the logs in my own eye, my own eye where I am proud and not humble. 43 to 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, 
nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from, pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, at first glance, I thought, man, you know, this is, this is a great way that I can tell what is in people's hearts. How they speak. Are they critical? But it's not the context. Oh, yeah. It's talking about me. How can I tell if my heart is clean and right and pure with God by how I speak about other people? How I condemn, how I criticize, that tells me where my heart is. You know, we have a lot of problems sometimes with people. The first place when you hear the words come out of people's mouth, in my own mouth, is to check my heart. Is my heart right with God? If it is, it will change my mouth. It will change my attitude about people. It will help me to get along with other people. That's the test that Jesus gives me. Then in this last part of this chapter, I love Jesus. He gives good illustrations. It's not hard to teach on, on, on Luke because he always has very practical illustrations. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like. He come, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Am I a wise man or a fool? on the foundation. Now, in this town, we have a city ordinance. Do you know this city ordinance? You can build a shed out back without a foundation if it is less than 170 square feet. Do you know that? Smiling. So I was going to build a shed out back. So I checked it out. You know how big my shed is? Ten by seventeen. But it has no foundation. It is built on uh, deck pillars that are in the ground. Okay. But hey, well, if we had a tornado like recently, that it don't make no difference if you have a foundation or not. But when a wind came, that building, I'm afraid, would be... It didn't cost me as much as if I had built a 20 by 20 shed. I would have had to put a... I would have had to dug in the dirt. I would have to spend the money to buy concrete. I'd have to have some of you guys come help me with a wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow, the cement from the front to the back. And then I had to pay you $15 an hour. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to take the time. I didn't want to have to pay the money. I didn't want the sacrifice, but I wanted to shed, so I just built it like that. Now, that tells us about life, too. If we're looking at life here now and eternity, if we're not willing to pay or count the cost and pay the cost to live like Jesus said right here and build a house without a foundation, this is craziness. Because the judgment is coming, the day of judgment comes for everybody. Nobody is excluded. And when that day comes, we'll find out what the foundation was like. And in the man who put no sacrifice, no work, no cost into living the Christian life here on this earth, when the day of judgment is come, he'll be in heaven, yes, but whoosh! Away it goes. than that is the man who says, look at Luke chapter 6 and look at verse number 47. I will show you what he is like. He comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice. All of the talk that we do will not stand the test of that day. It's doing 
doing. Doing is what Jesus wants us to do. He says, look at my words. I've given you a half-hour message, he says here. And he's in the park. Now he says, how many of you here are willing to do this? If you want to do this, you'll be a wise man. You'll be rewarded. Go out and practice this and see what God will do. So when Jesus was done with his message, the next chapter says he left. This message was spoken to disciples and a vast crowd of people. Probably some people there who had come from other towns who were not disciples. They were hearing the message that he was given. They saw him heal sick people. Maybe some of their relatives were even sick. I don't know if he didn't did it. It doesn't say. But I wonder if he gave the message of the gospel. I wonder if he didn't say, hey, I am the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost. In chapter 5, verse 31, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A wise person recognizes that, yes, I have sinned, and yes, I need a Savior. Years ago, I had a man show us this illustration, and I'd like to close with this. A disciple is someone who has the opportunity to live like this and have great rewards. But if you've not believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have that opportunity because you won't be in heaven in the first place. But if you want to go to heaven, here's the simple truth and the simple message. Let this hand represent you and me. Let this wallet represent our sin. Jesus said, I come to save sinners. Those who are weak, those who are sick spiritually need a Savior. They don't need reformation. They need a Savior. If you're in the water and you're drowning, and you're 50 miles out on the shore in, uh, in the ocean, you need somebody to come along and say, here, let me show you the, the, bad, the doggy float, the doggy paddle. Is that what you need? Oh, don't breathe like that. Breathe differently. You'll run out of oxygen way too fast if you breathe that way. No, you need a Savior. Let my right hand represent Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He was God in the flesh who came to pay the price for our sin. He took the sin upon himself and died for it on the cross to make a complete payment for our sin. Jesus never committed one sin. He was totally righteous. And yet, in Isaiah and the Old Testament, it says that God would lay the iniquity of us all upon this Savior, the one who died on the cross, to make a payment for our sin. The way to have your sins paid for is to put your faith, your trust in Jesus as the one who died for you on the cross. To believe that He is your Savior, not you, not your good works, not your church, not your membership, not your baptism, but Jesus. All who believe in me, Jesus said, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if Jesus was here, I wonder if He wouldn't close that way and then offer the opportunity for anyone to trust in Christ as their Savior. Let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you don't know what we're talking about here, about rewards in heaven, about being there for sure. Maybe you've never put your trust in Christ. And I encourage you this morning, right where you sit, to say something like this to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I believe you died for me. I know I've sinned and I need a Savior. And I trust you this morning. On the authority of the Word of God, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. That's the promise that he gives us. Once we've trusted Christ, the opportunity for, our, of us, for us is to serve, to obey, to do. So that the day comes, the day of judgment comes when we stand before God at the end of this life. And he says, How did you do? Now's our chance. These are hard words. Not an easy message. And if Jesus was here, would that be his message? Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. It's way beyond us. We can't fathom the depth of we just touched on a few things here. You are the one that we 
Christ, we want to serve you. Lord, we don't know the future. Our hearts are heavy when we see the world around us. We see what the Word of God says. We see the way the world is going. We, we don't know. But we pray that you would prepare our hearts for whatever comes, that we would be willing to just turn it over to you, to submit to you for that future, and think about eternity in light of what happens here, that all can be lost here, but it means nothing in light of eternity, Lord. We just need that thought today. Give us peace about it, though. Help us not to be anxious. Help us simply to love you and serve you with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind. So we thank you again that you came, you loved us, you died, that you were kind to wicked men. And you were merciful and gracious to us. And that your grace is enough for all of us. In your name we pray. Stand with us. Thank you.